here we are. Sick Eric. Ready to roll. Ready to do a show. Do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to the Shaking Not Scared podcast. Here with you as always, your hosts, Eric and Vivi. Today we're going to be talking about the 2019 film Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster. Before we get into that, how are you, Vivi? I don't know. I feel like I've just been taking care of you and Loki because you're both sick. And working. I'm tired. Well, how are you? I thought I was going to come on here and talk about how my tattoo went, but obviously I didn't have a chance to do that because I've just been sick. I don't know what I ate. Something fucked my stomach up and here I am. I mean, we don't got to give the details. But... I didn't say I shat. My stomach feels bad. <laughs> you say stomach thing and i feel like people just imagine you're either puking your guts out or shitting your brains out then that's their problem not mine okay i said what i said what do you have for creepy content i think me and you have the same creepy content we watched scream 5 yay without giving spoilers what did you think i really enjoyed it really enjoyed it i think my favorite is the first one for sure but i think this is my second really wow wow what about you i think i agree it's definitely top three yeah i really had a lot of fun with it i can't wait to see if there's more i hope there's more i saw some articles about what the original plans for five and six were like years ago back when the 2011 scream 4 came out just saw the craziness that was supposed to be scream 5 and 6 originally but this was definitely fun we don't want to give too many spoilers because people are still watching it it's like all over twitter it's like the only thing anyone's talking about in our feeds because we follow a lot of horror accounts but also i think at the point of releasing this we will be two weeks out so officially the grace period for spoilers according to eric anyways (laughs) yeah well we'll get to scream 5 when we get to that in the timeline anyway we haven't done scream three or four yet yeah we watched them in preparation for five i guess that's also creepy content that's true yeah i guess we watched scream three and four in one night before we went to the premiere i'll hold my thoughts until we cover them same (laughs) what about comfort content i haven't really been home i guess comfort content would be that i went to taylor night with my sister and cousin and it was super fun and we scream and sang along to taylor swift songs and bought very overpriced drinks from the stories i've heard it sounded like it was really intense like the building was gonna collapse right yeah people I did not know people went this hard because Taylor Swift, it's not like she's a metal artist, Like, but people were swaying, banging their heads. Like, It was interesting to see. Poor AJ got stuck being the only guy at the event since you bailed. Didn't sister- bail. I was getting my tattoo. Bailed. And my sister's boyfriend also got a stomach thing. So I think you guys are just passing it along to each other. Yeah, we made out at the party we hung out at this weekend. That's why I'm sick. It's possible. Sweet. Since today I'm sick, I'm only going to take a sip from the drink, but what do you have for us? Okay, so I'm excited for this one. I'm calling it the Love Rune and it is obviously inspired by the drink Maja. Maja. I just want to say Naja. <laughs> but uh, Is that the way they pronounce it or is it Maya? They say it Maya but it's M-A-J-A. Yeah. yeah. The drink that Maya gives Christian that is noticeably darker than the rest of everyone else's drinks and he still drinks it. Well I was reading some stuff for Fun Facts today and it was like if you don't pay attention you won't notice that Christian's drink is more red than everyone else's which implies menstrual blood was put in his drink and I'm like no one knew that? Isn't that the point it felt very obvious <laughs> yeah. but yeah maybe some people missed it i chose to do a lemonade gin drink because gin tends to be a very flowery spirit and added rose hibiscus syrup to give it you know all the flowery vibes of this movie it does smell floral good that was the goal that's good it's that's good. good no that's good i like that you actually like it though you're gonna hate it you say that for like any time i say anything to your drinks <laughs> i always think you're gonna hate my drinks because i do tend to make them a little sweeter because that's your jam you taste a lot of that gin my goal was to make it strong since 
they're tripping balls this entire movie. Oh, so is it heavy on the gin? It's almost equal parts gin and lemonade. Ooh, love that. Wait, what made it red? Hibiscus rose syrup is red. Oh, cool. This is pretty tasty. I'm going to give it a 4.5. I would give it a 3.5. Yeah, it's just strong. So I would just do one of these and then switch to something <laughs> else because you'll get a hangover. Straight gin. Ugh, I don't think gin is meant to be drank straight. I feel like I have in the past. That's disgusting. Is gin on the rocks a thing? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'll look it up after this. We should know this. We're a drinking podcast. <laughs> are you ready for some fun facts? I'm excited for this because I wonder if you were able to find facts that I don't know already. No pressure. Yeah, this sucks. Why did I do this? You know what? This is not fair. I heard you listening to a video that was like, top 20 things that you would miss in midsummer yesterday. You're watching all these videos. Yeah, to be more educated. It's not about fun facts, though. It's like themes in the film. Gotcha. Although the movie takes place in Sweden, the film was actually mostly filmed in Hungary. The entire set was also built from scratch. Ari Aster and production designer Henrik Svensson went on a trip to northern Sweden, visiting old farms that they recall were covered in paintings. These inspired the paintings that we see in the film. I did know the painting fact, but I did not know that most of it was filmed not in Sweden. Even the U.S. shots weren't done where they say they are. I think they say they're in Minnesota and New York, and most of them were done in Utah. The lies. Does it snow like that in Utah? There's mountains. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> I always think of Utah as like just dry desert. No one's going to give a shit that it's in Minnesota or Utah or New York. I, I don't know. Somebody might. Why? If they do, then they need to go somewhere else. Utah. Yeah. Much of what we see about the Harga and their rituals was made up by Ari Aster, even creating a hundred page Bible of sorts to abide by. However, that doesn't mean he didn't pull inspiration from actual historical research. For example, the love spell is something that was inspired by his research. I thought he collected from like, because Midsummer festivals are a real thing. So I thought he collected from a lot of different European cultures on this film. Yeah. But as far as like the rituals and things like that go, they're not just like killing people, are they? <laughs> I think that was a question that people had after viewing this because they kill nine people and they say they have the Midsummer Festival every year. If this small little village was killing nine people every year, they would easily be detected. But no, the 90-year solstice is the one where they kill nine people. Much harder to track a pattern. Hmm. He's big on cults. This is his second movie and it also deals with a cult. It's also his second movie and it deals with head trauma. Oh yeah, he loves his head trauma. I think he said he's never going to stop. According to Ari Aster, it took about six weeks of talking with the MPAA before they decided to switch Midsummer's original NC-17 rating to an R rating. There's a three-hour director's cut if you'd like to see more of what possibly was cut from the theatrical version. This film is already two and a half hours, and I felt like some points could have gone by a little faster. I can't picture what three hours would do for the film. I'd watch the three hours, but only if it's more of what's happening in the town versus just sitting around hallucinating. <laughs> the film is filled with ways to make the viewer join the group and feeling confused and estranged. The Swedish subtitles are never translated. The runes and symbols are never truly explained. Even the tapestries and paintings are left up to the viewer's interpretation. I did see that, that they purposely did not translate all the Swedish words. The film is obviously a film about breakups and was inspired by a recent breakup Ari Aster had. Ari Aster has also referred to the film as a fairy tale. You kind of get that feeling from the mural at the start that basically portrays the entire plot of the movie with characters and all. I could see that. I think somewhere there was mentions of him promoting it as a fucked up Wizard of Oz. Oh, really? Yeah. I did hear that it was about a breakup, but that it was like he was the role of Danny and his partner was the role of Christian. It's kind of fucked up. You imagine you go watch that movie and it's your ex. Oh, man. And it's all <laughs> the stuff you did to them. And then they burn you inside a bear. Mm, but that's all I got. I mean, I have other stuff. Maybe I'll bring them up when we talk about the movie. Maybe. In that case, are you ready to give me a speed run? Uh, I'm not. One, two, three. Go. Okay, so we're introduced to Danny, and she's emailing back and forth with her sister. Her sister's responding. She's trying to get a hold of her parents. She calls her boyfriend. Her boyfriend's hanging out with his friends. His friends are saying that she's toxic, and he's like, 
I don't know. Got to be nice to her. She ends up finding out that her, uh, that her family was killed by her sister because she left a really scary email. She cries like crazy. They end up deciding that they're going to go because I they think they're anthropologists. They're going to go to a town in Sweden led by Pele. They end up going. They're going to study the Midsummer Festivals in Pele's town. And then they dec- uh, they go there. They meet other people there. There's They start getting on a bunch of drugs and teas. And uh, little stuff starts to happen. Josh and Christian have this follow-up because Christian doesn't know how to be himself. And he's like trying to take Josh's idea. Little them, little, a couple of them get picked off one by one. And then at the end, Christian is like being, has like a love spell put on him and is set aside to have sex with this girl who put the love spell on him. Danny is led to be the May Queen and watches him <laughs> burn. <laughs> oh, I was trying to give too much detail. And I just wanted to skip to the end, but I was like, no. Yeah, definitely similar to Hereditary. All the meat happens at the end here. We watched this like three days ago. We did, but we've seen it quite a few times. I know, but I'm also not feeling well. Did you catch that? Eric's not feeling well. Do you want to give me a brief <sighs> and see what the internet says this is about? A couple travels to Sweden to visit their friend's rural hometown for its fabled midsummer festival. But what begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult yeah i guess pagan cult and imdb gives this a 7.1 out of 10 i think it deserves a little better than that it's not far off from what i would give it spoiler that's for the end a pagan cult huh i think it's funny when we see a group of people who we don't understand and immediately assume they're a cult this is just like some rancho in sweden i don't think i'd go to the rancho and be like this is a cult i would why especially if they started sacrificing people what if that's just what happens in the town and you're a cult because you don't do that you would do so well with the harga you would survive you'd be the may queen would i because you're like it's chill it's cool it's just what they do i don't think that just because we don't understand them doesn't mean that they're automatically a cult i mean they're ritually sacrificing people that sounds a little pagan i mean there's ruins there's definitely some herbs involved i mean by that logic a lot of things are cults i mean yeah what is it it's a saying cult plus time equals religion i guess i mean we're not gonna get into the background of cults religion and pagan okay i've been asking this at the beginning of our summaries now what did you think about it when you first saw it i thought it was really long and didn't know what was happening most of the time i just was like whoa the first two times the second time was a little better i did just know that they're in this town and good for danny i guess you could have done all that in shorter time what about you i remember just seeing the image of the poster everywhere on twitter all the time and i was like okay finally like what is this movie saw that it was ari aster's film following up hereditary we had just seen hereditary a couple months before we had just moved into our place and it was like one of the first things i was like can we watch this i do remember being really weirded out the entire time and then at the end i was like oh good for her yeah i do enjoy this movie similar to hereditary his films are very very dense and take a couple watches to capture all the freaking detail he loads in there and even then you're probably missing something right i was reading some fun facts about how in hallucinations you see the flowers that are kind of like opening and closing there are faces in the trees apparently and i didn't know that oh yes the one that's her sister correct i saw that one specifically but they said many faces and i was like there's more than one i did see that too the only ones that i really recognized were her sister's face that's what i mean and i've seen this like three four times so and you have to be looking for it yeah you have to not even be paying attention to what's going on you gotta be looking for faces in the background i think when her sister's face appears they're carrying her off on that pedestal Mm -hmm. so you're paying attention to that not the tree line in the back again who watched this and noticed that you got good eyes man if you watch it a thousand times and a half why not one time you watch it for the characters another time you watch it for the music a third time you watch it for all the shit that's in the background another time you just vibe
tab. I don't mean, that sounds about right. <laughs> don't even watch it. Yeah. Just feel the feelings. Just have it on with your eyes closed. Are you ready to dive in? Yes. Do you want me to do most of it? Yeah. So Vivi's going to lead most of the discussion today just because I don't want to sound too boring and like I'm all over the place. I'm sure it's already noticed. <laughs> I will sound like I'm all over the place. No. We open on a very detailed, odd looking tapestry that upon first viewing, you don't realize is the entire story of the film. It's like an intro to a Disney fairy tale. Yeah, it's like the book that is shown before Disney films. It's that mural that you see when you walk through Cinderella's castle in Disney World, the paintings on the wall telling you the story. Kind of. And there are several hints. Pele is seen above leading Danny and Christian to his village where the Harga are. Harga is gonna be a pain to say. <laughs> Harga are are. I feel like I sound like that. He's actually playing a pipe, a reference to him being the Pied Piper. Mark's actually wearing the fool's cap. Dissecting that mural alone could be a whole episode of the podcast, so I would recommend that you go back, pause it, take a look at all the little things. Just like we see paintings in the Harga's village, is this something that exists allegedly in this world, though? That would be so specific. I think it's definitely for the viewer. We get a couple shots that establish that it's winter before we meet Danny. She is staring at her computer, visibly worried, and is calling who we find out to be her parents. She leaves a voicemail as her parents are sleeping, saying that she's pretty worried because she got a scary message from her sister, Terry. She's calling to try and figure out what's going on. We see a graduation picture of her in a flower crown, foreshadowing some of the events that happen later. Getting no answer, Danny hangs up and looks at the emails. There is a scary note from Terry that says something along the lines of, I can't anymore. Everything is black. Mom and dad are coming too. Goodbye. What a terrifying email. I would be equally as worried as Danny. Yeah, I mean, your sister's bipolar. You don't want to raise alarm. She then tells Christian that this message feels different than any she sent before. He's hanging out with his friends. She kind of feels bad for including him because she's like, I'm putting all this weight on him. But he seems kind of, uh, whatever, answering in his very absent way. Ugh, whatever is a nice way of putting it because (laughs) he says things along the line of, your sister does this to you because you let her. And he's very much just trying to downplay it, but not in the way that's comforting. Christian's a shitty boyfriend. He's He's a shitty person. Yeah, he's telling Danny that it's her fault that it's escalated to this. And she kind of has a moment of standing up for herself where she's like, I don't let her do anything. She's bipolar. And he's like, she's doing this to you on purpose because you listen. And she's like, no, you're right. Danny has this habit of being submissive to Christian. The moment she feels like there's no coming back from the conversation or the argument with Christian, she just goes back within herself and is kind of like, no, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. Yeah. Just from this first call, it's very evident that she's walking on eggshells with him. He has a way of flipping it on her and making her feel like it's her fault for even reaching out to him for support. To the point where she calls her friend and tells her, maybe I leaned on him too much. I'm scaring him off. He doesn't deserve to hear this. Again, it's apparent that Danny thinks that she's at fault for feeling the way she feels and doesn't have the support she needs from Christian. Her friend's the only one with reason here because her friend's like, no, what the fuck? That's what he's there for. He's your boyfriend. Yeah, she is definitely a better friend to her than Christian even is. The I'm scaring him off comment. I feel like that's something you say when you're like a year into a relationship. Later we find that they're like four years in. That's a very strange way to feel like I'm scaring someone off who's been with me for four years. The real question is, why did she last this long with Christian? I mean, I guess you could say that about any abusive relationship. Sometimes you as the person involved don't see it and need someone with an outside perspective to be the one who reminds you what's happening. But it doesn't sound like she's listening to her friend. 
end. And I would say to that, it could also be like he's manipulating her to feel like she should stay in this relationship. We find out right after this, because we pan to the pizza place with Mark, Josh, and Pele, that he's been thinking about breaking things off with her for a year and a half or something ridiculous like that. That's such a long time. That is a long time, my friend. <laughs> While they're having this discussion and Mark's being a douche who's kind of enabling Christian to keep feeding into this whole, like, just fucking drop her. She's abusing you. Mark has this impression that Danny is the one abusing Christian. Josh points out, are you sure that you're not using it as a way to avoid coming up with what your PhD is? I thought that was so funny because it's like, a year and a half? You've been using it for a year and a half to avoid your PhD? <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Josh is probably the one that deserved all this the least of I all the know. friends. Of the friends? Okay. But he was very pushy. With the Harga. Yeah. I mean, that was his fault. Of his friends, he was probably like the least shitty. Yeah. He was definitely just there to do his work and mind his business until he didn't. They make this weird comment when the waitress comes by and drops the food off. I think she makes eye contact with Christian and Mark's like, look, see, you could be impregnating her right now. You're right. I'm not going to go impregnate anyone else. I want to stay with my girlfriend. <laughs> That's a lot of work, actually. Never mind. Pele also comments, don't forget about all the Swedish women that you could be impregnating when we go in June. This is the first time we hear that they're about to go take this month-long trip to Sweden. And it's a very interesting choice of words and it is on purpose. But Danny calls again and Mark's like, she's abusing you. She needs a therapist. And he's like, she has one. And he's like, well, why isn't she calling them? And honestly, all Danny has done is call her boyfriend twice. And Mark's acting like it's the most abusive thing a person can do. Call you. You call me once and immediately start yelling at me because I didn't answer. On the first one. Abuse. That you answered. <laughs> I'm yelling at you that you didn't answer. But we hear Danny just wailing no 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 on the other line we pan back to her family's residence and we find the fire department entering the home we see them turn off a car and follow a tube that terry has taped to her face along with under the door of her parents room her parents went peacefully in their sleep but when we pan over to the scene in terry's room it's pretty gruesome it's like she threw up in her mask and one of her eyes is kind of gray yeah and apparently the vomit on her is a call to the exorcist because it's pea green. Oh. I would it. not have guessed that. I mean, that seems very grayscale, so I wouldn't even know that that was a color for the puke. Behind her sister is the unopened emails from Danny. Suddenly, we're back with Christian walking to Danny's apartment on his way to comfort her. This is the most awkward way I've ever seen anyone comfort anyone. He is, like, not sure how to hold her. He looks over it already. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Almost, like, in his face, he's like, oh, this is another stunt you pulled to inconvenience me. I don't know. I hate him so much. Make this the hate Christian Yeah, episode. we got another boyfriend hate episode. We get the title card for Midsummer. Midsummer, Midsummer, however the fuck you pronounce it. <laughs> I've heard so many. Midsummer, Midsummer, Midsummer. Summer. We're going to say Midsummer. <laughs> it's sunny outside and Danny is in bed. We pan out and see a giant painting of a little girl in a crown kissing a bear. More foreshadowing for later. Her crowned and him in a bear suit. In case you didn't know that. Sorry to spoil <laughs> it for you. Christian walks in and says that he's just going to a party for 45 minutes she should go back to sleep don't worry you need to sleep more and she's like, no, I wasn't sleeping anyways. We cut to them at the party, focused on Danny, kind of in a fog, not really listening to the talks around her. Did you hear one of the conversations? It was like, yeah, I heard my dad fucking my stepmom or something. No. <laughs> it was like, dude, bro-y talk. No wonder she's tuned out. Oh, wait, maybe. The subtitles tell you what's going on around and I'm like, oh my God, that's what they're saying. <laughs> Chris and his friends are talking about how they're going to go to Europe and they're going to go study the midsummer traditions. And Danny's barely finding out. You can see on her face, she's the shortest of the group, all the 
guys are standing tall above her. She's standing there looking like Winona Ryder when they got that reward, all those memes that came about. She's just staring up at them like, huh, what? Pele mentions they're going to his home country. Very intentionally looks at Danny when he says this, because I'm pretty sure he's gathered that she didn't know about this. Danny immediately turns to Christian, who says, they were just thinking about it. They weren't going to do it. And we get a super awkward ride home. As they enter Danny's apartment, we get an awkward confrontation. It is again one of those scenes where Danny is the one we are focusing on, but Christian can be viewed from a mirror. I believe he did this in Hereditary 2 a couple of times. I think I saw that Ari Aster likes to use mirrors because it's supposed to be a reflection of the person, how they feel inside versus what they're portraying. He quickly makes her feel like shit for asking. He's like, I wasn't thinking about going. And she's like, no, I know, but like, you didn't tell me. I just would like to know. And he's like, what? I did. I told you today. She's like, okay, but I'm just surprised that I'm barely finding out about it. Makes her feel like shit for asking. Yes. It's funny because he's like, I was just thinking about it. She says, you already have tickets. And he stays quiet. <laughs> yeah. It goes from that to Christian threatening to leave and Danny immediately goes into apology mode, says it was just weird. She was just trying to understand and just tries to get him to stay. Just really uncomfortable as a viewer personally. I'm like, mm, that is not how I would have seen that conversation going. No, Danny, you could do better. She starts to try to help him in wanting to go like he didn't already want to go. She's like, you could get some inspiration for your thesis. Like she completely flips because of how Christian made her feel. I hate him. I'm going to say that after every scene he's in. <laughs> I hate him. He goes to his friends and he's like Danny's coming she's not going though but I told her she's coming don't act like I didn't just tell you but she's coming but she's not actually going why doesn't he just tell people what's going on because he's a piece of shit Danny shows up at Mark's place Mark makes up some excuse about come look at this paragraph in the other room to talk to Christian about inviting her it's another one of those scenes where Danny and Christian are in the mirror while we look at the group of guys in the room apparently in the shot you can see a framed photo of the scarecrow on Mark's fridge alluding to his fate later on Mm. And while Christian leaves the room, Danny has a conversation with Pele. He asks her, oh, you're going to Sweden? And she says, yes, we'll actually be arriving on my birthday. So not only did Christian not tell her about his trip, he also is leaving the day of her birthday. Been there. Just kidding. Oh, have you? No. <laughs> this is not a surprise, given that Christian doesn't even remember it's a birthday, even while they're there. Okay, but after four years. Okay. Anyway, not the point yet. Pele tells her more about what they're going to go see. He's like, yeah, it's a nine-day festival. It's kind of like a pageantry. There are ceremonies, dressing up and she's like oh you're from a commune he shows her these photos and she's like oh yeah they are really dressed up because everyone's dressed in white looks very tranquil summery natural she points out a symbol actually on one of the girls dresses because he's showing her photos of past may queens he explains they learn or study the runic alphabet he also tells her that he's happy she's going do you think he already knew about danny and already had his intentions to have her go long before christian even definitely decided to go to this because even when he first mentions that they're going to Sweden, he looks at Danny. He doesn't look at anyone else in the group. So I think he is, later on, we find out rewarded for being very intuitive. I think he knows and is putting all this into motion. I mean, he also kisses her. What does that mean? Oh, he is totally into her. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he wants her to go. Right. This has nothing to do with anything other than that Pele likes Danny. This is the true story of this fairy tale. You know, okay, stepping aside real quick. For this to be like a fairy tale, this is what classic fairy tales were like. The fairy tales that we see with Disney All the parents are dead. Yeah, they're not happy ending everything is amazing there are fucked up fairy tales out there the little mermaid she dies at the end oh yeah all those brother grim yeah this is a classic fairy tale cinderella i think all the sisters cut off their toes to fit in the shoes they're like dark stories these are the stories of our childhood but Pele takes this moment to speak to danny openly telling her i am so sorry to hear what happened about your family he mentions how he also lost his family some time ago danny's instantly sad he's like, oh fuck 
instantly panicking. I think this has a lot to do with Christian constantly trying to make her push her feelings down and not really letting her grieve openly. That the first time somebody says something to her, or any time from here on out, because anytime someone mentions family or things like that, she freaks out. She almost feels embarrassed for feeling it. Yeah. She excuses herself to go to the bathroom, and we get this quick cut scene to her being in an airplane bathroom. Crying. Sobbing. Listen, I really like this movie, but if we could do quick cuts like this, why is this movie two and a half hours? See, so you agree. You agree that it's long. It's long, but there are just so many details. I don't know. I mean, he had a hundred page Bible, meaning it could have been longer. And there's a three hour director's cut. It could have been longer, (laughs) but I'm still going to watch it. But I'm still going to watch it because I'm (laughs) a glutton for punishment. They're driving in Sweden. Mark sees women and he's like, what makes them hotter here? Josh is like, they found all the beautiful women and just brought them back here. I wonder if that's true lore. I've heard about stuff like that. I just, I don't know if that's like rumors, you know. Sounds like they only found white women. I mean, they're in this part of Europe. And they didn't conquer as much as they said. I'm (laughs) just saying. They're lying. Just kidding. Right. All the most beautiful women, they're not all in Europe. Shocking. They're in Mexico, called La Llorona. <laughs> oh, she's the hottest one. That's why she's crying. She's crying because she won't be left alone. But all the men looking for her. I would also cry if men didn't leave me alone. Yeah. We enter the upside down in this frame. Oh, because it like goes like that? Yeah, it hovers over them in a scene very similar to The Shining when they're arriving at the Overlook Hotel, but then it flips upside down. I wonder if this is to symbolize they're now entering a world where their rules don't apply. Things are upside down. That's kind of cool. I was just like, oh, cool camera effect, upside down. <laughs> cool shot. They're driving for four hours and they finally make it to this field. They meet Ingemar. He introduces some of his other friends, Simon and Connie. This first stop in their journey is funny because it seems like it's just get high before you even enter the commune. Danny is the one who points it out and is like, yo, chill. I'm just trying to get settled first because they're trying to hand everybody shrooms. Immediately. <laughs> shrooms. Not even just like, hey, here's some, some weed. weed. Some edibles of weed. <laughs> you know, like, might as well have started asking. You want some LSD? You want some cocaine? You want some fucking... Just the hard You want to end your life right now? Mark has this weird issue with them not taking all the shrooms at the same time. It's a thing. Okay, but Mark's such a baby. He is, because he's the one who trips the worst. He is. I was like, dude, if anything, you needed someone sober because you are freaking out. We assume that the Harga are not doing it with them, right? They are. Are you sure? Because Ingemar's acting nice and natural. Well, they're fucking... Shrooms all day. Shrooms all day, every day. <laughs> it's probably like weed to the... <laughs> you said shrooms all shrooms day, Shrooms, and, and I, I did, did smoke the... thing, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they drink it in tea. Hold on, let me do the tea. <laughs> Pele does, he does take some, them. and he does seem like to have the effects of it okay this scene's kind of cool though mark's again having his own fucking show but danny is in the middle under the tree clearly feeling it she looks down at her hand and the grass is growing through her hand because pele is like leading their trip trying to say like look at nature it all breathes and then the trees start to breathe but mark says something that i found really funny when other people are on their way over to them he's like new people i don't want new people right now and i'm (laughs) like that's me all the time (laughs) no shrooms no shrooms just all the time Danny starts gasping. She actually starts to freak out because Mark says his group of friends is like his family. Again, the word family sets her off. But she does run into another group of people who she thinks are laughing at her. Going back to her being embarrassed about her feelings. Eventually, she finds a outhouse where she tries to collect herself. It makes me so sad because she's like, you're okay, you're okay, it's almost your birthday. It's kind of like a blink and you miss it moment. Her sister appears behind her in the mirror. She is obviously scared and when she looks back in the mirror, her face is distorted and this 
freaks her out and she bolts out running from the outhouse till I believe she like trips and falls. The screen goes to black and she kind of has a dream where she is sitting on the couch with her parents and makes eye contact with her sister. She's woken up by Christian. They're like, we found you here six hours ago, meaning that they found her and then they still let her just lay there for six hours. Did nobody else sleep? Were they watching her for six hours do this? She also asks, did it get dark at all? They're like, kind of, but not really. I've heard this film described a lot as a daylight slash daytime horror. While so many horror films focus on at night in the dark, this movie is so bright. You said something when we were watching it. It's never really nighttime there? Yeah, in Sweden and in other parts of the world, I don't know exactly where. There's, like Alaska? Yeah, there's very limited nighttime. The sun is almost always out. We should look this out because I sound like an idiot. There's probably like a real reason for this. It's probably just like anything that's near the northern hemisphere. You have less for the rotations of the earth. There you go. That sounds much smarter. Thank you. I mean, I'm sure that's wrong too. <laughs> Point is, not a lot of nighttime. No wonder they're always high. I would also find it really hard to sleep. So they walk to the town through the forest. They're having a conversation about ticks. You brought this fact out about Ari Aster. Yeah, apparently he was actually very worried about ticks while filming this movie. He thought it'd be funny to add Mark's dialogue in as his own concerns. Because then I think Pele mentions like statistics about how so many people have ended up in the hospital because of ticks. And they had to have closed casket funerals because they just look unrecognizable. Yeah, because of tick-borne encephalitis. Does not sound like a good time. They enter through this sun opening, though, once they arrive to the village. Everyone's in white. It's very majestic, very tranquil. One of them makes a comment. They're like, are we in Waco? Mark, again. They are greeted with strawberries. All the villagers seem to hug the returning Harga from their pilgrimage. Pele refers to everyone as his brothers and sisters. Like, everyone. They are all raised by the commune, which we see examples of later. We're introduced to Father Odd and Pele speaks to Father Odd in Swedish. They say things to each other and you as a viewer along with the group were kind of like, okay. It's one of those like, you speak English only and then your Hispanic family only speaks Spanish around you and you don't know what they're saying. I mean, that doesn't happen to me, but. It's like the closest we can relate it to. Just wondering if we ever planned a trip to somewhere where we don't know the language and we know we're going like ahead of time, I think I would try to at least know how to say like, where's the bathroom? Where can I get food? Where is this? Like very basic, like thank you, all those things. Where's the coffee? Where's the shrooms where is the beer yes but nothing important like where's the hospital no 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 we don't need that if we're dying <laughs> here that's fine i would at least assume josh would do this but he kind of does josh kind of does recognize what they're saying because they ask him do you know what they're saying and josh is like mm-hmm. Shrugs his shoulders. Oh, we'll talk about that scene. Josh is kind of a douche too. <laughs> I thought this was interesting when he is introducing everyone to Father Odd. He shakes everyone's hand, but when he comes to greet Danny, he says, welcome home and gives her a hug. She's the only one he does this to. Pele probably told Father Odd, hey, this is the chick. This is the chick whose pants I'm trying to get into. Be extra nice to her. <laughs> Father Odd also mentions this is a celebration to celebrate Emir and nature. He stammers to say what he means, trying to translate what he means in English, saying nature is like an hermaphrodite josh says it's like another culture and father odd just is like not anyway yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think what he's trying to say is there's duality in nature like it's not particularly gendered it has traits of both these drum beats in the background though and these kids are being followed by the group they start the celebration and say that it's been 90 years since the great feast the nine day feast is to commence and it's 90 days until the next one apparently nine is a sacred number in a lot of folklore and a lot of pagan rituals that would explain the nine day festival that every 90 years even the ages where they go on their pilgrimage are 
are multiples of nine. That just goes to show you how much they're really digging the number nine. Mother Siv is a matriarch of this village. At least she is in charge of announcing everything that's going on with the festivities. They give a torch to this old man and a woman. They say, this high fire is not hotter, no higher. And she yells, spirits back to the dead. It's all stuff that you're like, what? What on your first watch, <laughs> but comes into play later. We cut to a kid just painting. He is smearing paint all over a book. Josh later describes this kid as the disabled. And we find out he is a purposeful product of inbreeding. The next scene we get is Maya in the mirror. She does this thing that a lot of the Harga do, which is a sharp breathing in the mirror and then walks out. Do we find out what that... <laughs> is for? I don't know. We breathe like nature does? Possible. Later they all kind of do it in unison, so... The group just sits around and the people are dancing. They're like, you should join. I think it's Mark that says, what are they playing? Pele says Skin the Fool, which is an allusion to later because Mark is the one that is skinned. That's true. I thought it was Simon that asked that because he was like, charming. Maya playfully kicks Christian and Christian's response is to ask if anyone can join the dance. Pele says something along the lines of, you're an American, just shove your way in there. And Josh and him go join the festivities. Danny is looking though because she notices that Maya and Chris are making heavy, heavy eye contact. How would she not? It wasn't subtle. It she was like not kicked the subtle. fuck out of him. Yeah. Danny just lets him get away with way too much. Don't be looking at people. Pele takes this opportunity and is like, hey, happy birthday. He hands her a drawing that he drew of her and says, you know, sorry, I know that this is probably inappropriate. And Danny's like, no, 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 it's cool. It's beautiful. I love it. He mentions that it's something that he only does for birthdays. She thanks him because Christian forgot her birthday. He's like, oh my God, sorry. She He's like, no, 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 it's my fault. I forgot to remind him. That's so shitty. That's so red flaggy. Run, run for the hills. The next thing we get is everyone exploring the commune further. Connie asks Danny about her and Christian's relationship on how long they've been together. Christian tries to say that it's been three years. Danny's like, no, it's gonna be four years in like two weeks, dude. You already forgot my birthday. Now you're gonna forget our anniversary. <laughs> I think Connie and Simon are like, sorry for asking. Regret asking. An important thing to point out here is Connie and Simon are clearly a couple. They're always linking hands. They're always hugging each other in contrast to Danny and Christian who are literally never near each other. No, even when they're walking in front of Connie and Simon at this point, they're walking outside of the two. They ask, well, how did you guys meet? Ingemar is like, oh, I was dating Connie. Then this guy Simon came along. Came along. <laughs> and Connie's like, mm, no, we went on like one date. He's like, oh, 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 my bad. We were deciding to be friends and Simon came along. Yeah, Ingemar's whole story is like, eh, whatever, I don't give a shit. I'm here to kill you. Actually, I think the opposite. I think Connie rejected him and so he brought this couple here to kill because she rejected him. It's just all a petty revenge story. Yeah, but then he later volunteers to kill himself in the temple. He knew what he was about, okay? It was all for the drama. This girl rejected me, gotta get her gone, but also I'm too embarrassed so I'm just gonna sacrifice just myself for the it village. All too. He takes this moment to mention that Connie and Simon are actually engaged. Everyone says congratulations and Simon in a very deep voice that does not match his face says, yeah, actually Ingmar is going to officiate the ceremony and Danny's like, really? And he's like, nah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that Simon likes Ingmar. Christian points out in this moment, the temple, they're like, oh, that's a sacred temple. No one's allowed in. Ingmar tells Connie and Simon, I'm going to show you the Ratvalta. Pele tells the rest of the group, he's going to show them where to go for sleeping at night. When Ingmar brings Simon 
Simon and Kanye aside, they notice that there's a bear in a cage. Simon's like, so we're not going to talk about the bear in the cage? And Neymar's like, it's a bear in a cage. What else do you want me to say about it? <laughs> we get the visual of the tapestry. Connie asks, oh, what's this? Ingmar simply says, it's a love story. In this tapestry, we see a young woman fall in love with a man. She has heart eyes, basically, goes and picks a bunch of flowers, puts these flowers under her pillow, and dreams of her relationship with this man. The next day, she cuts off some pubic hair, a very zoomed-in tapestry yeah. of the vagina. Like the one where she's cutting her pubes from far away wasn't enough. They it wasn't zoom in. clear enough. Don't cut off your actual vagina, just some hairs. Maybe that's happened before, so they're like, we gotta get a close-up here <laughs> so they know what to do. <laughs> well, that's true. If you're watching this only one time, people are gonna walk out of that theater like, did she cut her lips? Fuck. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Along with cutting off a couple of her pubic hairs, she menstruates into a cup. The next scene is her feeding this young man essentially her menstrual blood and her pubic hair. He is hypnotized and in love with her and the final tapestry is them getting married with the girl being pregnant. Again, one of the examples of Ari Aster just telling us what's going to happen in this movie. I think that is probably the main difference between this and Hereditary where we were completely shocked with Hereditary and this story literally tells you everything, everything that's going to happen. But you don't know that on first watch, I guess. No, you just think it's all there to mess with you as a viewer. They're in the slipping area and there's scriptures all over the wall. Pele mentions people who sleep here sleep here until they're 36. They're the younger ones. Those who are older then move to the laborer's house. Life is like the seasons. They ask, well, what does that mean? They're like, you're a child until you're 18. That's spring. You then go on your pilgrimage between 18 to 36. That's summer. Between 36 to 54, you are of working age. That's fall. And at 54 to 72, you are a mentor. That's winter. Danny's like, what happens at 72? Pele just kind of makes a gesture, cutting his head off with his hand. Him and Danny just kind of laugh. Well, because she doesn't actually think he's serious. <laughs> well, no, but he's being honest. As Danny is exploring their sleeping quarters, we can see Pele and Christian having a conversation where he is basically telling Christian, hey, you forgot her birthday. And he's like, fuck, did she say anything? And he's like, no, no, no. Like, he's very defensive of her. They are interrupted by Danny asking, hey, are these pictures of the May Queen? She asks, who are the May Queens? And he's like, it's a dance competition. The winner gets crowned. They're interrupted by Inge. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing her name. But she comes in to tell them that the kids are watching Austin Powers if they want to join and kind of makes prolonged eye contact with Mark. They have electricity? They have Austin Powers? I like how that's the movie you choose. Christian takes this moment to pull Danny outside where a group of women are rocking a baby to sleep in unison. To me, that's just like the literal visual of it takes a village to raise a child. I'd also ask, why are y'all doing it here? I mean, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of seating area, private homes or things like that. Oh, that's true. He tries to surprise Danny with a piece of cake and a candle where he struggles to light it and sings happy birthday to her awkwardly. And she's like, no, it's fine. It's D- fine. Forget it. Don't worry about it. No, yeah. it's cool. And he doesn't. He just keeps trying. Yeah. He says she should be upset, expecting her to be mad. And she's like, well, I'm not. And I think it's just her just being 100% done. I also saw somewhere this scene can be interpreted as the flame between them going out and them struggling to keep it on. It's yeah. Not exactly a subtle thing. I figured it was. That. Yeah. <laughs> They're getting ready for bed. There's a baby crying and they put flowers under the baby's pillow. From the tapestry, we noticed that it's just to say, hope you have good dreams. If we're wrong, let us know. There's mention of the first big ceremony tomorrow, the Atestupa. They're like, what is that? I think Pele is like, it's too hard to explain. Christian tries to look it up. He doesn't have signal. He turns to Josh and is like, do you know? And he's just smirking. Doesn't say anything. What a bad friend. (laughs) Warn them. Especially knowing what Danny's gone through. Look, Josh already doesn't like Christian. So I see why he was addicted to Christian. But okay, that's not Danny's fault. But Danny says, is it scary? And nobody answers her. (laughs) What I find funny about this scene now watching it, we watched Norseman. One of the opening scenes, 
I think is where they're debating doing an Atastupa. It's really funny. I can't even like describe it. Just go watch that scene. <laughs> it makes this scene less scary when you're thinking about that one. <laughs> it's the honorable thing to do. And he's like, no, it, it doesn't seem that honorable. You do it if it's so honorable. <laughs> the next day, they all get ready for a meal. It looks like they've set up these tables and the friends are making comments. A bell rings. These old folks are at the front. When they sit first, the rest of the group sits down. And then when the old folks grab their fork and knife, that's when everybody else joins in on eating. We get an aerial shot of this. It's pretty cool. It's like a domino effect of them all picking up their silverware. The table is in the shape of a rune. Don't know what it means, but it is. <laughs> Josh turns to Pele and asks if they're the ones. Pele simply says yes. And we get Danny speaking to other people in the commune. She's asking one particular woman about a baby. The woman says the baby's not hers, but that her mother is on a pilgrimage. Typically, babies are raised by the community. The elders stand up and start to chant in Swedish. One of them's like, wow, 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 wow. The community then does a toast and the elders are carried away on their chairs. Everyone's at the bottom of this cliff. The old folks are being carried up to the top. Josh asks about the Ruby Raider because Siv is holding the book. He's like, can I read that? And they're like, no. The elders are getting the palms of their hands cut and then dragging them along these giant boulders that have runes carved into them. The woman goes first. She raises her hand to the sky and it's this really theatric scene where you get an above view. It's also a very extremely, extremely bright scene that's slowly and slowly you realize what's going to happen along with the group you can see that in Danny's reaction she starts to panic but it's too late <laughs> she throws herself off the ledge and everyone is in shock Danny does however pan over and see that Connie and Simon are freaking the fuck out. They also zoom in on the lady's smashed face. It's disgusting. Like you said, he loves his head trauma. I hate it. I don't think I will ever get used to that in his films. I'm just like, I don't want any. You got an eye over here. You got a skull half broken. It's so gross. Some tongue. But the man is set to jump next. He jumps legs first. I know that this is so that they have to go smash his face, but why? Why would you ever go legs first? You're more likely to kill yourself immediately landing face first. I remember the first time we watched this. I didn't even think of that. But as soon as he jumped, you're like, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> he breaks his legs and stays alive. Everyone's obviously in disgust. People who are not Harga. They then take turns with a hammer to go finish him off. I think because the old man just smashes his leg and doesn't die, he starts screaming in agony. The Harga starts screaming in agony with him. It's like this thing theatrical your pain is my pain thing that we'll see time and time again they're followed by the hammer and they repeatedly smash his face in until he is dead everyone takes turns it's a community event simon is pissed and he's like fuck this you guys are fucked up mother civ approaches asking ingemar like didn't you tell them what to expect she then goes on to explain that they view life as a cycle and that this is better than getting old and wasting life i don't know how i feel about that like i totally get not wanting to get old and just wither away and having people take care of you with this feedback though we get into that gray area where it's like you start to question the beliefs of others because they're saying it in the way that you know you end your life but your life doesn't end there we see it as a cycle because maybe her name was Maya that baby that's over there in someone's arms is now Maya the reason I say it's like hard to question these things is because we've seen this before where it's like we might not think that the traditions of others are reasonable to us but to them it's the world she's like these people were pleased they're pleased to do this she goes as far as to say that when it is her turn she will be happy to do the same yeah uh, it's kind of 
kind of not the best way to go. Yeah. What if there's just like a giant group of people though? What if like everyone's just old all on the same day and they're like, all right, we got to like drop 30 bodies. Oh my God. That's true because Pele mentions the sister he has that has the same literal birth date as her. So what if they're just like two of many? They're just like, let the bodies in the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's like 30 of them coming down. Danny justifiably is very upset and goes off to cry alone. Christian tells her to go off and collect herself that it's okay. Chris goes and finds Josh alone in the sleeping area. He's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, why wouldn't I be? I already knew what was happening. He you, did. You didn't? He totally knew what was happening and not warn anybody. I can't get over that. Chris tells him, I've been thinking about something and my thesis. I want to do it on the Harga. And Josh is pissed. He is more upset about this than the death of two people he just witnessed. Yeah, he's like, it's unethical. It's leechy. It's lazy. I'm not surprised. He tries to tell Josh, you're not doing it on the Harga. You're doing it on Midsummer. I'm doing it on the entire community. And Josh is like, this is my passion. It's not just something that I'm barely getting into. I also find Josh very odd because he's intrigued to the point of being disrespectful to this community, which comes to bite him in the ass later. But then also, do you need to be respectful of a cult that is ritually killing people? Again, going back into that gray area of trying to judge groups for what they are. Isn't that the whole reason they got rid of us and our indigenous religions? Yeah, and now we're not cool. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying, they said that we were savages and then they brought Christianity onto us, which was so much better. Hmm. You ever heard of the Inquisition? I want to talk about savagery. I'm sure Josh, knowing Chris, he's realized that Chris gets everything he wants and is manipulative. He's seen his relationship with Danny. And this is the first time where he tries to manipulate another person and it just kind of doesn't work for him. I mean, it kind of does. He just decides to leave the conversation. He's like, I'm going to do it. If you're open to collabing, that is that. And he just leaves the room. Chris immediately turns into a fucking snake after this though, because he starts going behind Josh's back and asking for things. Oh my God. When he makes that comment later, like, oh yeah, I let Josh do the thesis on this too. Oh my God. I hate him. Just the language, manipulative language that he uses is on pain. I fucking hate him. But the group is talking about what just happened outside. Mark is upset that they let him sleep through the Atastuba. Connie and Simon are planning to leave first thing in the morning. And that is already too fucking late. Right. I'd leave then and there. That second. Pele tells Josh that he can't say anything about what happens there. They're like, no names, no places. And Josh is like, please, I won't. Pele is bothered. And he's like, all right, look, I'll go talk to the elders and I'll let you know what happens. But really, he's trying to make his way back to the sleeping quarters because he catches Danny trying to pack and leave. He calms her down by trying to say that he's aware of her loss and what is going on. She's like, it's not even about that. I just saw two people unalive themselves. <laughs> Honestly. He's like, no, 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 but I do know how you feel. This is like the one moment that Pele is not reading the room. And he turns it into a, again, another moment where he lets Danny have feelings and then immediately says, Christian's my friend, but does he feel like home? Does he make you feel held? And he's holding her hand like really tight. And it's just kind of a tense conversation that was originally about something else, but now we're here. Do we still think that it's good for her though, for her to be in this codependent relationship with Christian to then join this other version of a codependent relationship? Because I feel like Paley may have been nice to her, but he's got this manipulative backstory too that doesn't necessarily mean it's better for Danny. Yeah, so I've actually heard quite a few theories about this. People essentially argue that this isn't a good for her film. Danny enters a another codependent relationship, not with Pele, but the entire cult. So she goes from one abusive relationship to another. You yourself as a viewer are brainwashed and initiated into this cult in the same way Danny is, into thinking that Pele is good for her, not into thinking like what's going to happen afterwards. You're just in the moment of she found acceptance and you feel good for her. I'll just have you know I didn't, I thought Pele was manipulative too, even though he was nice. I mean, yeah, she's being manipulated <laughs> by a 
cult, so. He just kind of mentions he was also left an orphan, but he never felt that way because he had the village. For this reason, he was most excited for her to come. In the next scene, they're burning the old folks. Burning the old folks. Burning the old folks. The fire kind of phases in this artistic style to Danny in a field. I thought this maybe was symbolic too, because it was like Danny's burning her old self and becoming this new person after Pele had this discussion with her. And it's not the last time we see this sort of fire transition. Apparently her last name is also... Ardor. Yes. Its origin means fire. In Spanish is burning. So there you go. Subtleties. She goes up to Chris and asks Chris, like, are you not disturbed by what happened? He's like, yeah. But anyway, I'm trying to keep an open mind about this. What's so funny, it's almost like Christian's the one willing to be initiated by this cult immediately (laughs) and Danny's the one they want. Is he willing though? I think he's just being a fucking snake. I think he's willing because he's into Maya. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he's in there for the pants. For her For the pants. pants. It's cultural. And she's looking at him like, what the fuck? (laughs) But it's nighttime and Danny asks for a sleeping pill from Josh. She sees that everyone leaves in the middle of the night. We don't know this, but this is a dream. She walks out and is like, why the fuck are you guys leaving? She sees them drive. Mark is in the backseat smiling at her. And right as she's about to scream, black smoke, like the smoke from the car exhaust, leaves her mouth. She gets all these immediate flashes of the cliff, of her parents, and her sister with the tube in her mouth at the bottom of the cliff near the rock where the other two bodies were. This is just another one of those scenes where you're faced with with the traumatized faces again full on in the screen and you're like oh i thought we got past this <laughs> maya puts an item under chris's bed in the middle of the night josh half asleep notices it is the next day and we cut to a scene of the ashes of the elders being spread around a tree the yew tree which we find out very soon is significant pele tells josh that he and christian can do their thesis because he's spoken with the elders he must just keep everything anonymous not use names or locations josh takes this moment to ask pele about the rune he's found underneath Christian's bed. Pele explains to him that it's a love room. At this point, Christian joins them. He's also given the info about being allowed to do his thesis, but Pele tells him that his sister Maya has taken an interest to him, and she was just given permission to do this thing that Eric wrote down and I didn't because it seemed awful to pronounce. She got the Bixman dig last year. Big dig. She's got that big dig now. That big dig permission, which is essentially that the elders have given her permission to make. This conversation is interrupted, however. With a man yelling because Mark is peeing on the yew tree. It's their ancestral tree. It's the Valta. The man is screaming and Mark is like, what? What? I was just peeing. It's just a tree, dude. He's telling him to put his disgusting dick away. (laughs) But he's yelling at Mark and he's like, it's just a tree. And the man's crying in the background. How are you going to tell someone it's just a tree? Dude, it's their culture. (laughs) Right after that, Connie tells Danny that they're leaving and she's got her bags all packed. Is it Father Odd who approaches? I don't know if it's him. It's just one of the comes up to Ghani and is like oh sorry uh yeah Simon already left he got taken and we'll wait for you at the train station and Connie's like bitch that shit don't even make no fucking sense he wouldn't leave without me and they're like well there was only two seats they're in like in our tiny tiny truck Connie's like mm, that doesn't make sense I could sit on his lap and he's like oh we don't break driving rules I'm sorry <laughs> we just murder fucking everybody but we abide to traffic laws we're not animals Connie <laughs> <laughs> Connie just storms off understandably upset Danny goes to find Christian and tell him what has happened. Christian does not give a fuck. She's looking at him like, this is something that's important. This is upsetting. This is kind of weird. And all he says is, wow, what a dick move. That's crazy. On the topic of couples though, so is there incest allowed in this place or what? (laughs) What an odd follow-up question. I believe the man's name is Valentine or Valentine and he says that they respect the taboo of incest. That sometimes cousins are given 
permission to mate with cousins, but often they bring in outsiders for the purpose of breeding, which is just odd. Like you have to bring someone in. Well, when there's too much inbreeding, you get a lot of fucked up genes. Yeah, but it's just like, oh, you're here on vacation. I literally just need your seed and you can go. Go to die. I mean, I don't think that they kill everyone. It's just like every 90 years. So the people who came last midsummer probably all just helped create some babies and left on their merry way. Like the Vikings. It's funny because as he just continues having this conversation, Danny's looking at him like he ain't shit. <laughs> Again, doing the Winona Ryder stare. It's like disgusted with him. Chris takes that moment to ignore Danny and even the guy who's telling him the story about incest to look at Josh walking into the temple with one of the other Harga. Because Christian is just so involved in what Josh is doing and trying to copy and get ahead of Josh. Which makes no sense to me because Josh was the one clearly invested in this more than him. Danny kind of walks off in her own thoughts and is invited by another one of the women to help cook. She asks about Simon and the woman says, oh, he left this morning. Did you not get a chance to say goodbye? Danny says, no, but that's okay and goes to help them make meat pies. Have you ever had a meat pie? It was meat tarts. Is it different from meat pie? We've had meat pie, right? Like I made shepherd's pie one time. Yeah. I don't know. They look good. Minus the pubic hair. I don't want to try one. <laughs> Minus the pubic hair. Minus the pubic hair, please. In the background, Maya is setting aside her meat tart and to Josh talking to one of the elders about the Ruby Raider. This is when we learn that the Ruby Raider is sort of like a shoot of music. It's one that lists the 16 effects of what's holy to unholy, but the end is blank. It's because it's ever evolving. There are very many books of these. The one who decides what gets added is the current Oracle. Josh asks, like, who decides what comes next? And they're like, well, Reuben. He's like the disabled. And he's like, he draws and we interpret. His mind is unclouded by anything outside. They say that he is free of normal cognition, whatever that means. Josh asks if he could take a picture of these holy books and immediately he is shot down. Kind of disgusted with him for even asking. One of the examples of the affects from holy to unholy is grief, which is clearly what Danny is going through at the time. In this moment, there's a scream of a woman heard throughout the entire commune. However, they don't get much time to dwell on this because supper is ready. Did we hear a scream? Mm-hmm. Oh, is that Connie? Connie screams and everyone kind of stops and is like, what is that? Really? I didn't hear the scream at all. It says woman screams huh. and Danny's like grabbing a pie and she's kind of like, what the fuck? Josh is kind of like, what the fuck? Huh. Didn't hear it. Didn't happen. I think Mark says, I think I saw her running. She was like joining the Olympics or some shit. That's something to tell <laughs> somebody, Mark. Supper is ready. They hand Chris his tart. It's kind of like heavily emphasized that Chris's shit is about to go down because they hand him the tart with pubes in it and then his drink is a little more red than everyone else's orange juice. It is way more red than everyone else's. This is where Danny asks for Connie. However, a man interjects and says that he drove her to the station after Simon had called her and calmed her down. Danny still cannot believe that he left without her and after a long, awkward pause says, that's some shit you would do, Christian. <laughs> it's like, the fuck's that supposed to mean? You know what it means, Christian. You know who you are. <laughs> oh, I saw that some people have interpreted at the end the pagans killed the Christian. They got him in the end. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think that's what I've heard. Like, so much of our Catholic upbringing is like pagan ritual. You're not wrong. Okay. It is. Christmas, pagan. Pagan is book. Halloween, pagan. Valentine's Day, pagan. Just kidding. I don't know if that's pagan <laughs> at all. I mean, I personally do put runes under Eric's bed. Constantly put my hair in his food for yep. a fact. Her blood. <laughs> is everywhere. <laughs> Mark is being stared at by the guy from earlier and he's like, do you think he's going to kill me? Yes, Mark. This man is definitely going to kill you. <laughs> Josh asks if Chris saw the Ruby Raider. Josh starts to worry more when he sees that the end is undone. Like, I only knew up to a certain extent. I don't know what comes after this. Who knows what they're going to do to us? Yeah, there's a couple of unanswered questions that finally have him uneasy. Tensions are just high at this dinner. Christian turns around and says, no, but I saw you go in there, you bitch. <laughs> and Josh is like, never mind, never mind. That's not even what this is about. Yeah, because he's like, oh, now you want to collab? And he's a like, bitch, I didn't even 
even say that. I just asked if you saw it. It's not about you, Christian. He takes this moment to take a bite out of his meat pie. Angrily. With his pubes. And immediately pulls out a pubic hair. I like how he doesn't even give a shit. Mark is like, is that a pube? And he's like, I don't know. And just moves it aside. He immediately looks at Maya, though. Like, he kind of knows. Again, this chick is not subtle. Mark, however, is super grossed out. Christian's like, don't make a big deal about it. And he's like, dude, why are you acting embarrassed? Someone put a pubic hair in your food. Danny also notices Maya looking, but when Danny turns around, Maya looks down immediately. A woman calls Mark, like, let's go. And Mark's like, okay, I'm she's going. like, I'm going to show you the thing. The thing. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to go see the thing, guys. I'll be right back. And that's how you know he dies. Because he saw the thing. No, because he said, I'll be right back. Oh. <laughs> or maybe he did see the thing. We get this prolonged shot of Josh, deep in thought, that immediately switches to night. Very similar to scenes in Hereditary where it seems like someone would just hit a light switch. Danny asks for some sleeping pills and Josh gives them to her, but he pulls his sheets over him with his shoes on. You know that Josh is about to get out of bed. Yes, I also saw somewhere that this could be a reference to the Heaven's Gate cult and how they all killed themselves wearing Nike shoes. These are not Nike shoes, I'm pretty sure, but the emphasis on the sneakers was meant to be a reference to that. Also, I forgot to point this out when Danny's packing very quickly to leave, her bed sheets are the pattern of the Overlook Hotel carpet. And what is the significance of that? Just another reference to The Shining. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why the fuck did they do that? <laughs> I was like, what's The Shining got to do with Midsummer, though? Hallucinations? Yeah. Okay. Throws book. I'm done. I'm done with all these references. So many. Got The Exorcist, got The Shining. Got Why? The fucking Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so Josh goes to the place with the Ruby Raider, looking through, taking pictures, and notices that someone is behind him. He turns around, and the figure is sort of shadowy, and they've got no pants on. Nope. But he recognizes the face a little bit, and he's like, Mark, is that you? He's like, what are you doing out here, man? My question would be, where the fuck are your pants? <laughs> Why are you walking around like that? Well, to be fair, he was going to go see the thing. That probably happened hours ago, man. You could put your <laughs> pants back up. As he's fighting, he gets hammered in the back of the head and drops. He's convulsing and gurgling and trying to say stuff. He's looked at by this figure that's wearing Mark's face. It's, again, skin the fool. Yikes. This is very creepy. Effectively creepy. I thought it was Ruben wearing his face. Josh then is just dragged away in blood. The next morning, the group is at breakfast. Danny seems to be the only one who asks where people are because she is asking if anyone has seen Mark or if anyone has seen Josh. Chris is a douche and is like, I'm not really too concerned. Okay, good friend. Piece of shit. I understand with Josh, but Mark was seemed like his best friend. Why wouldn't you care? <sighs> yeah. What of the Harga stands up at breakfast and says, the Ruby Raider has been stolen. Basically implying Mark and Josh took it since they are nowhere to be found that morning. Whoever took it can return it and we won't place any blame. You can put it back. It could be like it never happened. We're not mad. We're just disappointed. Danny, Chris, and Pele are confronted. They're like, they're your friends. Looks kind of suspicious. Christian is so quick to distance himself from his friends. Like, so quick. Oh, man. Like a fucking snake. He's like, their actions have nothing to do with us. I'm happy to comply with everything you guys want me to. He's like, I don't know her. Mark definitely didn't do it. But Josh, on the other hand, totally could see that happening. Could see that. But Pele is like, listen, I feel responsible. I brought these guys here. Let me at least go look for them. Danny is then whisked away to join the women for the rest of the day's festivities. She's given clothes and Christian is sent to meet with Siv. I actually saw somewhere that Danny's clothes are intentionally very baggy throughout the whole film and the clothes that fit her the best are the ones that the Harga have made for her, symbolizing that she's finally found a place that fits her the best. Interesting. Little details. I did like her sweaters though. I was gonna say, I prefer the baggy clothes though. I do like me a baggy sweater. A little more comfy in that. We're covering Silence of the Lambs. With Nightmare on Fear Street? Yes. But we did a clubhouse with Girl That's Scary and Nightmare Fierce and I believe Jasmine was like living for the 90s sweaters in that movie and I was too. They just are like so grand. 
grandma vibes. <laughs> just wanted to throw that in there. You do love your grandma sweaters. I do be loving my grandma style. Especially the undies. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. It's not even true. It is though. Danny's dressed in white and is given a flower crown along with the other women. They go to get some drink. She calls it tea for the competition. But when they take it, she says, uh-oh, here we go. It's like, oh God, we're in for another trip. There's an announcement made by the lady at the front and she says, this is where the black one led the children of Harga to dance. They couldn't stop and had to continue dancing until they died. And now in life, holding defiance to the black one, we dance till we fall and the last one standing is crowned for her stamina. Apparently this is a real dance. You know, with the ribbons and the pole and it's a similar folklore. The devil made them dance till they die and now they're dancing in defiance. I think I've heard of this. What do they dance though? Like tamborazo? No. To flutes. I think I'd rather dance to tamborazo. Mm. Can I be high? You can be on shrooms. <laughs> that seems scary. I would freak out really bad, I think. With tamborazo? Yes, not even shrooms. <laughs> I meant shrooms. <laughs> As she's explaining this in Swedish, obviously, she instructs everyone to begin so they can find out who will be crowned. All the women bow except Danny, very quickly foreshadowing that Danny will be queen. Why'd you laugh? <laughs> because it's like so soon after she's crowned May Queen, it's not like, subtle. It's not subtle. We've seen other hints up until this point. Even if you haven't noticed them, I think as an audience member, you're like, well, she's obviously going to be the May Queen. Chris is in the room and he's staring at this drawing of a bear on fire. Subtle. For he's, a very long time. He then is called into the room with Siv and he says to her, you know, is this about Josh? And she's like, oh no, I don't give a shit about that. I heard Maya likes you. She's like, I don't deal with any of that. Are you ready to do this? You guys are an ideal astrological match. Oh no, she's an astrology bitch. He's like yeah you know what you're right i think i did eat one of her pews she says that sounds right we cut back to the may queen dance where danny appears to have a really good time she knows this dance like way too well because it's choreographed and i don't think i would just know being an outsider how to do this <laughs> i felt anxiety just watching her when they're like okay you ready for this next thing and she's like what what and what she immediately knows what to do and was yeah. like no nah, i'd be in the middle of fucking acting a fool because i don't just know just be what to watching do. everyone like what the fuck just be doing the two steps side to side <laughs> shuffle out of there because what the fuck i wouldn't even participate <laughs> Honestly, I'd be like, I'm gonna just go sit down. I lost, okay? I lost. I would trip on purpose just to leave. And headbutt another girl. Chris makes his way back to watch this dance. Maya falls in that instance and looks at him as she stands up. Chris is the only one of all the people who are watching that's not having a good time. It's kind of like he doesn't know what to do with himself since Danny is being so accepted and he's kind of awkwardly on the outside. Danny looks to Christian as soon as he enters. She's kind of excited. She's having a good time and he's not paying attention to her. He looks to Maya and she's like, God, you can't even support me when i'm becoming the may queen <laughs> a woman approaches chris with a drink he's like what's in it she's like, oh it's just spring water it's got special properties it breaks down the defenses and opens you up for influence and he's like nah i'm good i'm afraid i'll have a bad trip but she's like no no just take it take it she's also kind of drugged he like takes it immediately he's like all right fine if you insist but the dance continues we got shots of danny struggling to keep up at some points she's kind of having a hard time and having double vision the double vision then is overlaid with another scene of fire further alluding to Danny's name and the concluding scene with Christian. Danny's one of the last three. This girl next to her is speaking Swedish to her. She's like, I'm sorry, I can't understand. In the middle of it, the language sort of transitions between Swedish and English and Danny starts to understand her. I think it's like one of those final scenes of full acceptance into this community. I think at first, what she's speaking is not Swedish at all. I actually don't know if they're speaking Swedish among each other. They're both speaking gibberish, but because they're tripping, 
and they think they understand each other. But as they're speaking gibberish slash Swedish, all the other girls fall. And she is made May Queen. She is immediately handed a crown of flowers and I don't know what I would call it, like a shawl. It's really overwhelming because she's just suddenly crowded by everybody and they're like, you're the May Queen. Here you go. He's a crown. He's a flowers. And they take a picture with her and oh my God, congratulations. But because she is still tripping, she believes she sees her parents and her sister in the crowd. Pele kisses her full on the mouth in front of everyone and says, oh my God, you're May Queen. That's amazing. I totally didn't plan this at all. <laughs> totally didn't trip the other bitches so you could win. He's in there soccer sliding to everybody off <laughs> Nobody sees. <laughs> She's then put on a pedestal, literally, and carried while the village sings behind her. Warping starts to happen at this point and it's pretty consistent from here on out. Her flowers in her crown start to warp. The trees are warping. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, oh man, this is kind of cool. It makes the viewer join the trip. It does. You're kind of like, am I really seeing this? She is led to a giant table where like before, the community waits for her to eat before starting to eat themselves. Christian and her share a look across the table, but he is also having a bad trip at this point. Is there a person on the table? They zoom in on the meat platter. There's a lot of flies on it. And I was thinking maybe it was the torso of one of them. It's possible. It's not really like focused on long enough for you to distinguish it, but that's a good possibility. Are they also cannibals? Possible because Mark's head is the only thing that's left for the burning. Or Josh, because we only see his his foot later on. And he's put in dirt like crops. Yeah possible similar to when the old folks were eating earlier they all stare at danny danny goes to grab her fork and knife and everyone joins somebody approaches and is like here we go it's an offering it's a fresh herring and she's like what i don't want it and they're like yeah you gotta eat it tail first and they try to force feed it to her everyone laughs when she's disgusted i think this was just a practical joke right i don't know who knows if you're used to being this community you know that this is a tradition so you like mentally prepared to do this but she's not from this community so she's probably like ew chris is clearly a uncomfortable and ask what's going on a man claps right in front of his face and the whole screen sort of warps and he's like why would you do that yeah it's almost like the sound waves of the clap freak christian out even further danny's told that she's family now in that instant Maya looks at chris stands up and walks away i kind of hate that you call him chris it's like he doesn't deserve a nickname it's christian and he's terrible it's kind of a funny scene where maya's looking at him it's meant to be like seductive but it's so slow that it's almost awkward not almost it is <laughs> It's pretty awkward. Danny, of course, sees this entire exchange, but Christian doesn't follow after her immediately. Instead, Danny is whisked away because she is meant to bless the harvest and the crops for the year. She asks if Christian can come with her, but they tell her no, this is something that a queen must do alone. As she's getting pulled into the chariot, she sees that Maya is putting flower petals around this building. Maya's busy getting um, ready. It's another woman, like, setting the scene for them. Oh. Yeah. Poor play sure if that's what you want to call it would you call it a chariot that pulls her away yeah it's a chariot it's really odd because it's being pulled by the rest of the women who didn't win the may queen competition as horses like they are (laughs) acting like horses when she finally arrives at the destination she is given a torch and then told what to say the women have at this point buried a slab of meat under some rice cracked an egg over it and buried it in the dirt danny repeats what one of the hargo women tells her to say in a sing song type of the petals lead up to Chris and he ends up going to the building and when he enters he puts on this white garb. A sexy time robe for the most unsexy time ever. They give him some smoke Viagra and he's <laughs> like what is this for? And they're like vitality. It's so you don't lose your boner dude because things are about to get weird. 
They then lead him into this, what I would call mating ritual, mating room. And he is walking in on a scene where there are a bunch of older naked women surrounding Maya, who is laying in a bed of flowers. Maya is also completely naked. We see someone disrobe Christian. You could tell Christian is very drugged when he's performing this act. I don't know if Maya is because she's just kind of looking in wide-eye fear. But Christian makes his way to Maya. And as they begin to make a child, which is what Maya wants, apparently, she has this moment of pain and freaking out where she actually reaches out to one of the Hargo women. And it just becomes this awkward thing where the rest of the women are singing, but this other woman is like directly singing to comfort Maya right next to Christian's head while he's trying to perform over here. She's making eye contact with Christian. Almost like kind of wanting to comfort him too, but this must seem incredibly odd to an outsider. Ruben is there watching in the room. When Danny gets back, she looks over to that ritual area. She's like, what happens over there? And the girl's like, oh, that's not really anything to do with you. I believe she says that they are supposed to meet Siv, who will give her a blessing. But Danny, hearing the strange sounds that are coming from this temple, decides to follow it anyway. One of the Haruga does try to stop her and tell her that you don't want to see what's going on in there. However, she does not listen and peeks inside the room. Clearly, she is shocked to find Christian committing this mating act. I don't know if I'd be more shocked by the ritual aspect of it. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be like, whoa, he's cheating. I'd be like, what the fuck is going on not, here? Not only is he cheating, but it's <laughs> group sex. It's like an orgy almost. <laughs> Danny is heartbroken. She gets extremely upset and tries to run away and cry again. However, the women all follow her to the sleeping quarters and don't let her grieve or cry alone. In one of probably the most memorable scenes of the movie, or at least one that is used a lot when advertising this movie, the women begin to cry in unison with Danny. And this is the first time Danny is allowed to grieve in a group and not forced to hide and run away with her feelings the way Christian has always made her do. Back with Christian and Maya, another woman has gotten impatient and is just trying to hurry things along. She just starts pushing on Christian's butt, telling him to finish. Once he's done, Maya lifts her legs and she's like, I can feel the baby. This just made me think of Hot Tub Time Machine when the girl's like, I feel pregnant. <laughs> A much darker version of that <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, she's rocking back and forth, holding her legs up crossed to her, like very intentionally trying to get pregnant. Chris stands up and runs away. Yeah, he runs out completely naked. We get the visual that I did not notice the first time watching this, but you're like, his dick's covered in blood. Oh yeah, it is. Chris turns around and notices Josh's leg is sticking out of the dirt right by the yew tree. He runs into one of the buildings and finds Simon strung up. Apparently this is, what is the word? There's a term for it. It's a Viking way to torture people. The huh? something eagle. Bleeding eagle. Yeah, he has flowers in his eyes. He's hanging from the ceiling with his lungs behind him like wings. Still breathing. He's alive. Yeah, apparently this technique was meant to keep them alive while being tortured. This is the most gruesome something I can imagine. As he walks in further to investigate, one of the Hargo catches up to him and blows smoke into his face. I thought it was dust. It's a powdered drug because we find out later that he is unable to move or talk after this. When he wakes up, one of the Hargo explains this to him and Lady Siv is explaining the significance of the ritual. Danny is in this shrine of flowers. She's completely covered. Did you know that Ariana Grande tried to buy this at an auction? Yeah, she did her birthday Midsummer theme because she really likes this movie. She didn't 
end up getting it. It went to someone else. I imagine it was like a lot of money. (laughs) But she's the most unhappy looking person covered in a million flowers. Siv is explaining that every 90 years, nine lives must be sacrificed. Four Harga, four outsiders, and one chosen by the May Queen. We cut to a scene of Maya now rocking a red lip. I guess to (laughs) signify that she's no longer a virgin because none of the rest of the Harga are seen wearing one. Wearing makeup at all, really. I just had sex. That's basically what it says. (laughs) We learn that two Harga have volunteered to be sacrificed, one of them being Ingmar. Pele is being honored and rewarded for his insightfulness of bringing four victims to the village, as well as bringing them their May Queen. Alato is drawn to select one of the Harga so that Danny can choose between them and Christian for the sacrifice. They call forward to Brayen and they're like, make a decision. We never actually get her vocalized decision, but she looks at a paralyzed Christian for a very long period of time, signifying that she chose him to be the final sacrifice. Fuck that bitch. The next scenes we get are Connie's body, Mark's body, being wheeled into the temple that was mentioned earlier. The temple is bright yellow. It's a pyramid, very similar to the temple we see at the end of Hereditary. He just likes ending his movies with pointy temples. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) The bodies are being positioned in different corners of the temple. This man, in the meantime, teaches these kids to cut the bear open that we saw earlier, and they put Chris inside. When they set him up in the temple, this man tells him, purge your unholy effects to the deepest recesses to reflect on your wickedness. Someone pointed out that throughout the film, the guests only die once they've obviously disrespected the Harga and their culture. Connie and Simon are the first to die because they're the first to vocally freak out. Mark dies immediately after because he pees on the ancestral tree. Right after that, Josh is killed after sneaking pictures of their sacred text that he's not supposed to. So I wonder if this implies if they weren't douchebags, they would have lived. But we find out that four non-Harga have to be sacrificed anyway. Didn't more people bring back other outsiders? I thought the same thing because when they enter, it's like a group of people. But if you pay attention to when they get there, all the other ones know to greet the Harga in the same tradition. So they were just people on their pilgrimage who probably failed to bring people back. So if they would have brought back other people who weren't completely shocked or vocally disgusted by their culture, maybe they also would have survived. The part that I found interesting is when one of the Harga goes in to give Ingmar and the other victim something for pain and something to not feel fear. It's an oil from the yew tree, I think. Couldn't have given him more shrooms? I don't know. Maybe that would have been worse. You're on fire. You would have freaked out for real. I don't know. You're freaking out regardless. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, it's for the pain. And when the fire touches them, they immediately scream. Scream. Yeah. yeah. Some people say that this film is very funny because it walks that fine line between comedy and horror a lot. It's got a lot going on. Yeah. Ari Aster, I think I saw in an interview, specifically said that he finds a lot of parts of this funny, even Hereditary. He thinks Hereditary is hilarious. Well, yeah, he made them. He's like, this shit's the best. As the rest of the bodies are set throughout the temple, we see that Mark's body has the gesture hat placed on him. The elders that we saw at the beginning of the Aristupa are kind of there in spirit, dressed in a certain way. Obviously, we saw their bodies burn, so they're like kind of like dummies in their place. The one who we don't get that much of a view of is Josh, right? I don't even think I saw Josh. Yeah. So there's arguments for this movie saying that the Harga are a white supremacist cult. I was thinking that I just wasn't sure because we've never touched on it, but I thought that the way that they were talking to Josh and Father Odd looking at him like Fuchi face was because he was racist. I just didn't think that that was a theme in this. Some people say it is because it is the people of color who are the first to die. Christian is the one selected for mating because he is another area 
Sumerian man. She didn't set her sights on Simon or Josh, you know? Yeah. But the temple is set aflame. And I can't imagine the horror of being Christian in this where you are powerless to do anything of what's going to happen next. He does feel pain because we hear his like muffled screams after. The Hargans are screaming in pain and the people outside join in on the screams. Again, this communal feeling of emotions. They go in hysterics and Danny in the front of the temple is crying her eyes out. She is wailing and coughing and she's looking over the Harga all in theatrics doing the same thing essentially. As the temple burns down, Danny has this moment where she breaks out into a smile and it is a genuine smile. The first time in the entire movie you see her smile and that is the end of the film. I really love this movie. It can be interpreted in so many different ways. You can view it as a good for her film. You can view it as her entering another abusive situation. But at the end of the day, we get rid of Christian. So everybody wins. It is really dense. So many things that you have to look out for. I'm going to give it a nine and I only rate it less than Hereditary because I found this film disturbing, but not scary. There was definitely moments of anxiety, but there was no outright unexpected thing. Again, every tapestry lays out what's going to happen for you. So yeah, I'd give it a nine. I'd give it a seven. It's way too long. It's not really scary. I think that there's a impact when those people jump off the cliff. But other than that, there's nothing else in this movie that I would say is like scary. I'd call it more like he said, a fairy tale one way to look at a breakup and it would be fucked up to get caught by the harga unless you were white as a minority yeah i guess <laughs> fair enough i'm not trusting anybody who's trying to take me to some midsummer event by the way don't even try it you know now that you mention it you keep telling me to go to this festival in your hometown where your cousin was crowned the may queen she wasn't the may queen. she was crowned the may queen <laughs> i'm saying is it's not the same thing it sounds like the same thing it's not even a festival is there party. a dance there's tamborazo uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> cool so seven and nine i told you it wasn't gonna be that far off imdb yeah you did like this movie you spoiled it right at the beginning <laughs> what scared loki the sirens at the beginning of the film when danny's family is found you want to tell us about it loki Bud, we watch a movie with sirens like once a week. I'm gonna need you to get used to it already. He's been sick actually lately. I think he maybe needed a little bit of those hallucinogenics to chill out a little bit. Yeah, he has a cold and the Mexican in me is you have cold, you get tea. And I'm just like, I can't give him tea. I don't I don't know what to do for him. All right. <laughs> I'm still so sick. Yeah, yes. you are so done. You're like, we're ready to walk out of here before I even said the last scene. I felt worse the longer we recorded this. Oh, dang. Yeah. Is it the movie? It's the movie. It's all the hallucinogenics in my in that case as always we hope you guys had a good time here with us you can follow us pretty much anywhere at shaken out scared pod except twitter twitter is shaken scared pod you can send us an email at shaken out scared pod at gmail.com support the show on patreon you can get early access to episodes or a bonus episode and theme drink idea every month listen wherever you get your podcast give us a follow check out our drink videos give them a like be sure to rate review all that good stuff okay thanks bye bye